to Beyond the Ring, a podcast that covers all things in the stock show industry from the informative to the insane, starring Ryan Rash. Biden's economic policies make about as much sense as a fragrant-free perfume. And Dale Hummel. A person who never made a mistake, never tried anything new. Now on with the show. Welcome to Beyond the Ring. This is Dale Hummel, along with co-star Ryan Rash. Hello, hello, hello. Shall we talk about a town hall meeting first? I don't go to town hall meetings, sir. I don't either, but I saw one on Fox News that that Biden conducted via CNN. Fox did not have Biden on a town no, hall. They played they played a clip from CNN's town hall with Biden. Well, you don't need it. You don't even have to watch any of that. You can just see all the memes that have been generated on my Snapchat from it. So you don't even. It need is embarrassing as as a United States citizen. That is embarrassing, Ryan, to have a president <laughs> up there attempting to speak. I don't know what he was doing with his hands. Like, what was that? He, I don't know. I, I did get out of it that he was too busy to go to the border, but he's been there many, many times. No, and see, even CNN fact-checked him on this. They didn't. He's never been to the border. Never. He's never been to the border. He has been to Galveston. Now, for those of you that are not from Texas, okay, let me clarify. The Galveston is not the border. Galveston, <laughs> the Galveston. is about an hour South of Houston, it's an island, <laughs> and yeah, it's not even close. So now, very long. We're, we're talking four, five, six hours from the border. Right, we're talking multiple hundreds of miles. <laughs> I, I'm assuming he's been to Mexico. We 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 would assume that. I don't know. They didn't say anything about that. They said, but they did fact check him. He has been to Galveston. Well, to me, the, the southern border, and, and I, I've, I've come to, to peace with this. I, I had a hard time accepting it, but I do believe this, and we've talked about it before. The southern border is now exactly what the Biden administration, Bernie Sanders, and AOC want. It's, it's completely an open border. Oh, and there's another caravan of migrants just days yeah. away. Just a days pile of, away. We, we have immigration laws on the books, Ryan, and it is very difficult and challenging at every level to change those immigration laws. And there's still people that try to come in the legal way, and it is very, very difficult. With those laws on the books— I don't know why. All you got to do is walk across. It's fine. Well, I think the Biden administration realizes that Oz—we'll say Oz because we know Joe is not coherent of this. Joe doesn't even know where to hold his hands when he's on a national news network giving a town hall standing up. Like, no, literally. The shortcut to changing immigration law for Oz— is we, we simply have an open border. And guess what? It's Biden fine. talked about an open border. All these progressives talk about the open border. And the first thing they do is stop the building the wall. Done. Next thing they do is ignore there's a problem at the border. Done. Guess what? We have an open border. That's it's simple. Fine. Your fine. governor's trying to stop it. Uh, my governor is pissed. He is. I mean, he is going to do his best to line that border with troops and, and stop this monster caravan. I mean, he is not happy. And so, which again, I am all for Abbott not being happy. And I think this is an atrocity. And this is like seriously a humanitarian crisis of epic proportions. But like, what I don't understand is why aren't all the other governors pissed off like Abbott is? 
Because I'm telling you, and this is the truth, the majority of these people are not staying in Texas. They're not. No, shipping them out at night to, to various places. No, they're, they're, there's no room for them to stay in Texas. Mm-hmm. They can't accommodate all of them. And so they're not staying. The majority of them are not staying here. So all these other little governors need to get their little panties in a twist, too, because they're coming to a state near you people. And I, and I think there are a few governors that have addressed it, not not to the level that Abbott is, but they, they are addressing it at least. But no, it is it is terrible. It's amazing to me. The southern border, we ignore it. Guess how the White House dealt with the, the the train wreck and getting out of Afghanistan? They ignored it. The short news cycle in the media, it lasts for a day or two and it's gone. And we still have people in Afghanistan that helped our troops and American citizens feared for their life and hiding. Do you hear anything about it, Ryan? No, and it's an alarming number. No, there, there, there's so many catastrophes on the plate right now. They can ignore that one and almost get away with it. How, they're how's the Biden just administration? worried about him going to his little climate control thing. They are. The, the G20, they're, they're hoping that he can go there with what in hand? Some type of legislation passed because he's got none. He's got to have something yeah. done by Friday. Some legislation that, that destroys our energy industry, puts us more dependent on OPEC, and it's it's ridiculous. So with that, we'll talk about the House bill that he's trying to push through. He's been trying to push what's falsely titled infrastructure, which has a little bit of bridge building in there, but the rest of it's just total political crap in, in what they've always wanted. And then the monster tax and spend bill that was originally five plus billion or trillion dollars. So we still have the infrastructure. You do bill. realize there's uh, a very large difference between billion and trillion. Yes, and trillion. It was 3.5 trillion. I need to make trillion. that very, very clear. Trillion. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. So with that, right now, they're trying to get something through. And I don't know what direction they're going to go, but they sat down with Manchin. Because they're not talking about it. Because they cannot no. release any of that information or a large portion of the American public would go crazy. The, and possibly the largest tax and spend bill ever in our country's history the Democrats are behind closed doors. The Republicans in the Senate and, and in the House, they don't, they get don't invited even know to those meetings. They have no idea what's going on. They're getting more information from the news than they can from within. There is remember that that let's let's come together in the Joe Biden. Oh, candidate. I don't even want to hear about that anymore. This is the most partisan bill and the largest tax and spend bill of all time. It appears it's weaseled down or whittled down. To about 1.75 trillion, which is better, but it still has so much green initiative and so much pork in this bill. It is unbelievable, and yet we still hear Joe say it's paid for. There's no, yep. there's no implications to all paid for. Does all not affect the for. deficits. Not going to raise taxes. Not going to cause inflation. Nothing. Yeah, he's a liar. But and, and actually, I I'm not, let me take that back. Let me take that back. I don't think the old man is smart enough to be a liar. I think someone has told him that, and he believes it, so he repeats I think it. that there's. I think that is is a possible reality, Ryan. I, I'm I think just he, being dead that, level that honest. That stupid bastard may re- truly believe what he's saying because he doesn't I, know any better. Someone set him down and told him this is how this works. This is what's going to do all this stuff. He heard those three bullet points. It does not increase the deficit. It is already paid for. It will not increase taxes. It will not cause inflation. He believes it. <laughs> Oz is very good. I mean, and so there, there it is. But I, I do, I think that the most interesting thing is they're not releasing any 
details about this bill. And the Republicans don't have any because they have literally been shut out of these meetings. And I, when yeah. I mean shut out, they are not invited. There, there's no discussion with them whatsoever. Pelosi made a, a, a statement that the bill is smaller than they they originally hoped for, but it's still one of the largest that they'll ever be able to pass. And and that's 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 big. This has been going on two months now. Even the Democrats, and I'm assuming it's the mod, some of the moderates and the ones that are up for re-election are like, if we do this, we're screwed because that you can't get any feedback from American citizens on it because they won't release what's in it because they know that's not going to work and all this other stuff. And that's why this has been stalled out for so long because they're like, they're afraid of the repercussions that's going to happen. And so here we go. No, I, I agree. It appears as though their mansion is holding out to take some of the energy issues out because of the state that he represents. Um, and I think they're trying to do some of that. Obviously, there's opposition to it. But I don't understand, Cinema. what what are they trying to give her to get her on board? I have not heard anything on that. I, I don't know. I just know she gets followed into bathrooms. And, and, that, that very, and, and Biden did not help himself there at all. But I hear there's also within this, this slimmed down version, a 15% minimum tax on corporations irregardless if they make a profit. Oh, that's good. I am very, very confused. So are we talking about a 15% tax on your gross sales or your gross income? If that's the case, you have farms and ranches and small businesses that may not make a profit, but because they have a lot of volume, all of a sudden, if they have a million dollars in sales, they owe 150000 in taxes, even though they didn't make anything. How, how does that work? <laughs> I'm, I, I don't know. Where. This is insane. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I think of Rand Paul? I'm not a big fan. I'm going to be honest. I, I am. I am a fan and I have become more of a fan here recently. He is standing up and, and talking about this Wuhan gain to function dollars that, that the NIH had, had directed under Dr. Fauci's approval. And they're standing up calling each other basically liars. I happen to believe Rand Paul, not Dr. Fauci. Fauci's We're doing saying, nothing. We are shocked that you don't believe Dr. He, Fauci. He's doing nothing but just playing with the technical. Do you know words he is the highest-paid government employee there is. He needs fired. Fired. I'm not joking. Do you know that? That is the no, truth. No, I, I, I heard that. I don't know. No, that, that is the truth. He is the highest. Pay- it was just on Fox. He is the highest-paid government employee ever. And think about how much he's made from other avenues because of his position. I would just quit if I was him. Like literally. It is I mean it is it is it is amazing to me that that, that person still has a voice. But if we talk about getting fired, I would go beyond that. I would prosecute. I would yeah, I would just stop. Yeah, yeah, you better stop. Shock treatment wouldn't be enough. Shoot in the no. kneecap. Let's just keep going. Yeah. So I do want to talk about y'all know that I am not a big sports fanatic or anything like that and anything and I I if I had to like watch sports, I would watch college instead of professional. But anyhow, uh, I don't do either, by the way. I do want to talk about this. And I, I don't know if I'm pronouncing his first name right. I think it's Ennis Cantor, but he's a Boston Celtics NBA player. And this guy is really shaking shit up. So he's got these shoes. And I think he's on pair. Last night was like pair number four. And like one of them said free Tibet, one of them said free China. Last night it was modern day slavery. 
and it, th- they're not happy with him. No, at all. and the NBA appears to be in bed with China. I bet they're very. They very are, and displeased. that's a yeah. They're, they're very unhappy with this man. You have, you have and, the NBA, China, and Nike that yeah form an alliance that anybody out it's there. It's Nike, Dale. Not Nike, Nike. 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 Yeah. Anybody out there listening to us that is going to purchase Nike apparel moving forward, I would like you to know in advance. I'm gravely disappointed. <laughs> Yeah, and so Nike's trying to silence him, and he's like, every, and he just doesn't wear the shoes. He also like puts a video about what the shoes mean and why he's speaking out on his Twitter and all this other stuff. And like Nike is just like not only Nike, but I believe it's got the Chinese attention. Oh yeah, they're gonna, yeah, they don't like him. But uh, and I, I guess the NBA can't tell him he can't wear these shoes. I don't know. I guess I'm assuming he can't. Now maybe the Boston Celtics could. But I don't know, but it's very interesting. Like it is. And I mean, this is the first person in professional sports that I know of that is using his status to protest something that makes sense, I guess is my thing. Yeah. Other many others have protested far lesser things. You're a hero. Everybody rallies around you. This gentleman is protesting something very real and very damaging to, to many, many people. And he's being shunned and punished for it. Yeah, it's it's wreck. But I'm proud of him. I mean, again, basketball would be my least favorite sport of all of them because there's way less good looking guys that play basketball. But I am proud of this. Please, please, please. I'm just saying. That's being very discriminatory. I I am. I can be. I am (laughs) just saying. Baseball boys. Baseball number one best sport. Well, the 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 world is a mess, but. But that's that's. Do you have more for current topics? That's all I really have. No, it's a mess. I mean, like, Biden is guiding us in a bad path, and we would just be beating the same things down. We would over and over and over. I mean, until they pass this bill, or we see what idiot and they are going to pass it. I'm very fearful, and it is. We'll never know what's in it fully. I don't know. We we won't know until it's passed, and then it'll be difficult. I guess they, nothing. Nothing has improved. They haven't saved the people in Afghanistan. They haven't fixed the shipping crisis. They haven't got a handle on inflation. All of those things that we've been talking about, none of those things are better, just in case y'all are wondering. He hasn't fixed any of that. I'm going to predict the supply chain. Remember, we talked about it early in COVID. We talked about it even last episode or last week. It is going to get worse. I have instructed our managers of each business to buy as much in advance of the critical items we need, particularly feed, for fear that that it is going to be an issue. Yeah. Well, so I'm part of the problem. I'm hoarding. You still don't have your stockpile from when Rona first came out and you had like enough to last you a year for everything? No, we went went through all of that. So now I I instructed I want a six-month supply and I would like it to not get below three months. And it's difficult to do on the goat and the cattle side, but on our feline project, and that is where we found the most supply shortages. We're, We're able to do it right now, but we're just now getting back in over a year on a consistent delivery of of particular products. I see. It's a mess. You little hoarder, you. So a couple of things. Hopefully, when y'all hear this, y'all will have listened to the extra episode about the Beyond the Ring Junior Livestock Association. And that will have answered some questions if you have questions. But November 1, we're going to put up our first calendar for January, February, March. And I, I, I want to explain this now. So you need to listen. Please listen. 
when we put that up on November 1st, that does not mean that you still cannot sanction a show in January, February, or March. Okay? Everybody breathe. Because this has come up on Facebook. We're just going to put that up there so people can start planning and plotting their show season to try to get their rings in, all this other stuff. You can still sanction. You can still get your little thing on the calendar. We're going to update the calendar weekly. But so when it comes out, first part of next week, y'all don't flip out. Okay? Just- and it is it is my hope, Ryan, that we, because a lot of people are still meeting and talking about it, it's only going to be a fraction of those that we'll have by January 1 that actually comes out November 1st. We've got like eight shows in the first weekend of January. But anyway, I mean, like. Yes, but I, I, I would like. Dale wants 5,000. Yes, yes I, I want more. More, yes. more, more. <laughs> yes, I understand. And there will be more and all this other stuff. And that's I want there to be a, a, I'd want there to be a supply crisis getting data entered from shows into Thank the you, association. Dale. That's how Since many Dale has nothing to do with any of that, it's fine on his end. But <laughs> so again, and when the calendar comes out, if you if you're a show manager or on a board and you don't see your show, it can still get on there. More importantly, if you are a member are going to plan on being a member because I know a lot of you are waiting till closer to January 1 to sign up. I I don't understand it. It's not going to get any cheaper. The membership's going to be the same all year long, people. But uh I I mean I've heard that a lot. If you if you know that you're going to a show and you don't see it on that calendar for January, February, or March, contact that show. Ask them, "Hey, we're coming. My kids a member. You're not on the calendar." And ask them why, or just tell them it's for. I have, I had a man last night that I snapped this person every single day, every single day. And he did not realize that it was free to sanction all shows in 2022. I mean, this happened last night. So I know the word is still not out there enough. Tell them it's free. All they got to do is fill out the form, send it to us to get on the calendar and then send in the results when it's over. So again, if someone that I snap multiple times a day, didn't realize it, then it's not out there enough. But, and, and it not only is it free, you don't have to change anything. There is zero downside to doing it. Zero. All you're doing is helping kids that will be at your show, get more recognition. That's it. That simple. While we're on the BTRJLA of it all, I do want, I'm going to, highlight one of, or maybe two, I don't know, see how much time I have here, but uh, our region sponsors. And again, I'm going to put up a Facebook post because I'm getting asked all the time what's left to sponsor, what's left to sponsor. I'm not going to go through and read it all on here, but uh, I am going to put up a Facebook post about what region species are left and what national stuff is left. But so be looking for that. But our only sponsor in region six, the only one that's only species sponsor. It's for goats. It is the Interstate Showdown series. And uh, we're very happy to have them. They started this series to give exhibitors in their area a chance to be rewarded for their efforts in the show ring. Uh, this In 2021, the series had eight show weekends. Their banquet is November 6th. And Susan Berner is a very nice lady that started the Interstate Showdown. She's 
the one that contacted me about sponsoring Region 6 for goats to make sure that all the goat members in that region had a full-scale awards program. All of her shows next year are going to be BTRJLA sanctioned, of course. So we are really appreciative to the Interstate Showdown Series for their sponsorship of Region 6 in the GOAT deal. Of course, one of our biggest sponsors, Mr. Boxel, Boxel Manufacturing, who is also my campaign manager now. Dale, I'm, again, if we really get into this, I'm going to have to check your polling to see if you get to stay as VP. Because if they come Thank back and you. listen to some of this, I don't know how well that's going to work out. But for now, you're safe, okay? But uh, Boxel Manufacturing has Rash Hummel 24 t-shirts on their website at, for in their swag store for sale. And they are giving a portion of the proceeds to BTRJLA. And I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to address something. And this isn't going to be popular, but that's okay, because I'm going to stand up for these guys. I had two people, when I put that up on my Facebook comment, yeah, but what percentage of the T-shirts is BTRJLA? And I know you can't read tents or in comments, but I thought it was... You took that very, very I did. I'm assuming. Yeah, Yeah, I did. Because it wouldn't matter how much it was, they're giving something. And that's more than nothing. Uh, He informed me today that the BTRJLA has already made over $1,000 on those t-shirt sales alone. So That's impressive. That is very much appreciated. Some people may say $1,000 is a lot. This association, that's a lot of money. Because we did waive all the sanctioning fees for this year. So we can get as many shows on board as possible. So the only way that we have revenue to supply all these awards for all these worthy and deserving kids are through sponsorships and through memberships. And so that T-shirt sales alone has already given us $1,000. So support Boxel Manufacturing. He did want me to tell y'all that if you want a Ryan Rash Showbox autographed and ready to be there for Christmas, you need to order now. And it has nothing to do with the supply chain issues because they're all American-made products and their stuff's not sitting on a ship out in the California ocean. But got to do that now. So thank you to Boxel Manufacturing for their continuous support of not only the BTRJLA, but of this podcast. Thank you, Boxel. Are you ready for the main topic? Yeah, because I should have read more sponsors, but you know what? I, I, I'm, I'll just, I'll just do it next week. It'll be fine. I promise I'll get to everybody eventually. Dear Abby, yeah, and let me talk about Dear Abby. Some of you may not know what Dear Abby is, and I don't really know what Dear Abby is, other than it, whatever. It, it was a very popular advice column at one time. Is all I know, and I, I, I remember I, that. I do remember that. I, I don't much know. Of it. Where what where it was published? Maybe it was published all over the place or whatever. But like, so very popular advice still. And so, so, are we going to give advice? What what are we doing then? Uh, well, Dale, since you've been fighting me this topic for six months, and you finally, I did not understand it. Dale, then you don't listen or you don't read. I don't know which. <laughs> I did not know what Dear Abby was, but I, I think now that we discussed it in more detail, I I can get close. Uh huh. So. 
I thought, and again, obviously I am not the rainbows and butterflies kind of person, but I thought a really, because I get, I get people every day asking me for advice about something and whether it's livestock shows, life, etc. I mean, it, it happens to me every day. And so I thought that even though I'm not saying that we are, you know, the absolute best people in the world, especially Dale. I mean, I, I'm close. But, Easy. <laughs> but I thought that we could do a topic about sharing the best advice that we've ever heard or given, whether it's in the livestock industry or just about life in general. And so I, I thought this was a wonderful topic. I think it's going to be wildly popular. Dale has not wanted to do it for six months. So I'm on board today. I'm I'm very positive and very optimistic about it. I, I put I stopped and thought about it and I, I'm I'm good. Oh well that's nice. Okay. So since you're so positive and overwhelmingly optimistic, why don't you just dive right on in there, big boy? I will, and I, I only have a, a couple of these, or three of these, I believe. But I probably should give just a brief history before I, I dive into my first experience. And mine are more not certain things that a person said to me, but experiences I've had with different individuals that definitely impact my life. So with that said, my brother and sister both raised livestock. They raised and showed livestock at the Chicago International for many years. But because I was the best accident my parents ever made, that put me 10 plus years behind my siblings. Consequently, the livestock that they had had by the time I was of show age was long gone. They had, had sold them. They, they no longer had them. They aged out and, and it disappeared. So when I was growing up, there was less influence on my life and, and we were around animals and my, my parents were, were still in that industry, but I had less direct influence or I was influenced less by the show ring in animal agriculture as a young person all the way through junior high. When I hit high school, this is this is was a life changing experience for me, and I I appreciate it much more now in hindsight than I ever did at that time. For some reason, an ag teacher by the name of Tom Poskin showed a lot of interest in me and encouraged me to become active in livestock judging, and that was my first kind of re exposure at a higher level to to this industry that that we love so much. Because he did that and put me on a team with two other individuals that. I guess we, we prepared for a state judging contest. I was a sophomore. The two others were freshmen. And in preparation for this, our ag teacher was fairly young and very energetic and very competitive, Ryan, at our level of competition that, that we talk about all the time. So he took us every single day for a very long period. He worked us harder than I'm sure any team has ever worked for a state livestock judging contest anywhere. And, and I really do not believe that's an exaggeration. None of us seemed to mind. We thought there was a good end goal. We, we really didn't even know the difference. So we put that much time and effort into it. We go to the state contest. We win the state contest. Great. We're on to the national FFA contest. Same philosophy. And we had several months to, to prepare for that. We continued at that same kind of pace nearly every single day preparing for that national contest. Every moment we could all get together to do such, we did. And his philosophy on on this alone, I reflect back on something that I use with my children now, and that's leave no room for error. Work that much harder, that much smarter, 
lay awake at night thinking about a better way to do things. People don't do that anymore. Oh, I do, unfortunately. I, I do. You know I do, but I'm just saying it I is, don't think it, people, it is. It is not. I, I don't know. I don't think people do that anymore. It's going to shorten people's lives. But and and Tom Poskin never came out and told me or, or said those exact words. Do not leave any room for error. We continue to prepare so intensely for that national contest. We get there and we're the youngest team there, I'm sure, by far. But we were so almost programmed. I'm not saying we that he coached us in a manner that we understood everything about the livestock industry or breeding livestock or the fundamentals of livestock, but we were absolutely geared to quality grade, yield grade, evaluate four animals, give reasons on them, all of those things in a very defined window that this is how it was going to be done. We get there, and I believe individually first, third, and fourth overall. So that wins the national contest as a team by really? a record You mean number. you had three Huge. of the top four and you won the contest? We did, and we won one here. Yes. So I, I guess with that, and, and this this sounds odd, but because he grabbed me at that point my freshman year in high school and then put me in a situation where he worked our ass off, literally, for a very long period of time to achieve that success, I developed that let's not leave any room for error and implemented that as much as I can throughout my life, not even realizing it. But that was the first true example that I can go back to and relate to that. Here was an example that I, I very much took to heart and, and I would like to thank him right now. I don't know that he's listening, but, but that, that changed my course. I went on to judge at Black Hawk East and the university of Illinois and continued to stay in this industry because of that influence I had at that time. See, Dale, look how easy that was. You don't want me to ask you about all the things that you do in your life. You expect me to spill my guts about my whole life on here every three months, but you don't I want do. to talk about I'm, anything. You, and look how easy that was for you. I'm not as good about sharing that personal information. I'm working on it. I didn't I say personal information. People want to know about your kitty cats and your we disappearing will do that. I'm, I'm going to talk about that. Stuff. I'll talk about that a little bit today. Why don't, why no, don't you that, bring No, this to, that is a topic. You can't do it but, today. But there, there is something in there on one of the, the changes in my life that relates to it. I'll try to keep do it Do you people minimal. see what I'm dealing with? He never comes up with topics. Now he wants to put two topics in one day. Oh. I thought maybe this would get us out of that other one. No, it's not. No. Well, we wouldn't no. want to talk about the same thing twice. That's why we're not going to talk about it today. Moving on. So... I don't know. Dale's probably going to be a lot more philosophical about this than I am because Dale has a problem that he doesn't listen to people. If you haven't noticed, like he just doesn't. And how does that? How does that apply to this? Because I have specific things that people have said to me, or I have said to other people that I remember. That's so kind just of the, because somebody said it to you, why would that resonate so deeply? I, I need to see it. I need to experience it. No, you just don't remember what they said not because you didn't listen. But anyway, no, but I on. used to remember better. Right. So really nice man when I was first starting out showing and he, he loved my mother. Uh, his name was Peyton Scott and he was very successful in the steer show industry in Texas, sold lots, lots of champions. And so uh, I, I've told this story, I've told this story for at my very first state fair in Texas, I might've like fibbed to the judge and ended up winning the show and all this other stuff. And so that I was eight and adorable 
And everybody was just so happy. Just, oh, congratulations, crowd, whatever. And it was great. That would have been the last time that everybody clapped for you. I well, <laughs> we're getting to that. So that was in October, and we roll around to San Antonio. And wasn't San Antonio the very next year? I had a breed champion at San Antonio that year, but it was Brahmin, so nobody cared. But San Antonio, the second year I showed, I had a steer from Peyton Scott. And he was a key, and he was champion key, and he was reserve grand overall. And not nearly as many people were happy. <laughs> and not nearly as many people clapped. And uh, my mother, I, I was nine, so I really didn't notice it as much, okay? But it was it was a very big thing for Sheree. And I, I think some people were even ugly, probably. I don't know this for sure, but and Peyton Scott's standing there at the backdrop and you know whatever and i'll never forget he didn't say this to me but he said this to my mother but it it resonated with me he said sheree don't worry about all those people don't worry about all that he said if they ain't talking about you then you ain't winning so you just let that little blonde-headed boy keep hanging those banners and we'll be perfectly fine i think there's a lot to that right there i'm just gonna be real honest and maybe as somebody who has been cussed and discussed a whole lot in my lifetime and continues to be. I, I I just thought that was something that's it's always stuck with me. If they ain't talking about you, you ain't winning. You you definitely don't seem to have any issue with just saying it how it is, irregardless of who you're going to offend or have talk about you. No, but I mean I and hadn't even wonderful. said anything. I was nine years old. But yeah. <laughs> at that time. But this has stuck with you. Oh yeah, no, I, I will never forget him saying that. Yeah, it was it was and again, it wasn't even to me, it was Sheree, but that was one of those things right there that stuck with me. And then talking about stuff and show ring and, talking, you know, this kind of relates to they're not talking about you're not winning. Unfortunately, our industry has some of that and it's not always rainbows and butterflies and people do trash talk people every once in a while. But I think we also need to remember, and this is a piece of advice that... I didn't come up with, but I've seen it and I've used it. And uh, I, I think it's something that we all need to remember. And the saying goes, someone right now in this show ring wants to be you and you don't even know it. So you owe it to them to be the best that you can be. And uh, I, I think that is true. You never know who looks up to you. Because your biggest fan is somebody you don't even know. And your biggest critic is someone that you think is your friend. I'm just telling you. That, that's, that, that, that's just normally how it is. And so you don't know who looks up to you or who wants to be you. And so you need to constantly always try to be the best that you can for those people that are fans and do look up to you from a distance that you don't even know about. Absolutely. And I think that happens more than what we realize. By a considerable amount. Okay, see, I gave two actual pieces of advice, but I know you're going to have some monologue and story. And I'm going to have, yeah, events, mine, so mine is ahead. another, the second I one have that I have more, is, but I would like for you to continue, sir. Well, I, yeah, I actually have two more. I thought of another one. As, as okay, we're, well, let's we're just do one, that. and then I'll do some actual advice. <laughs> okay, but I, I need to get these two in. They're very important. I know. I don't we'll, have we'll very do, many. We'll, 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 so, let you, we'll let you do this one, and then we'll let you take a breather. With that, I do learn 
better from experiences than maybe specific words of advice. Because you I don't listen. My philosophy on why I select for certain types of livestock or a certain type of cat or, or whatever it may be, I think a lot of it goes back to a summer that I spent in Australia uh, during my junior year in college, between my junior and senior year, I believe it was. I you had only the went to naked beaches that year, so I don't believe I this did. story already. No, that was the last week or so that I was there. But So I had a chance to go and spend time on working sheep and cattle operations. And one of the operations that I spent time with was one of the leading Angus breeders in Australia. For some reason, he took a huge interest in me, was very thankful that I could come over and, and, and share some of my experiences. And I think Ryan, it even goes back and I'm getting way off topic. He thanked me. You getting off topic. He appreciated the United States of America because they stopped Japan from invading Australia. Very, very thankful, very appreciative Americans, different than I find when I go to different parts of the world where, where the older generation in Australia was still very thankful and very appreciative of some of the things that our country did. Okay, back on topic. He, uh, he, he set in place, we would go out and, and look through the cows or, or whatever we're doing. He would point out certain cows in his operation that were generating and raising calves every year that were phenomenal, that would come back either into his operation or he would sell to, to his local market or whatever direction he went with them. But he'd point out, this is the kind that works. This is the exact type that works in our environment. So we went to the keeper heifer pin and it's nothing new. He simply pointed out the ones that are extra sound structured and a little more moderate, lower maintenance. He would talk about just their, their survivability in his given environment was really, really good. Thank so God I'm bodied, not in that environment because I'm no, not low maintenance. You're bodied, easier fleshing, more moderate cattle. So these type of cattle, I've always been drawn to those kind to begin with. And it really resonated with me when he went through and pointed out these specific individuals. And he was very keen to, to, to emphasize these are the type of cattle that work in our environment. And I believe he made the comment that Irregardless of what you're doing in the United States, and at that time we were selecting monster cattle, great big, especially Angus cattle that were as large framed as some of the full blood keys. They were way, way out there, and he knew that. So he said, "When you when you go back to the United States, if those are the type of cattle that work in your environment, that's great. That works perfectly. But if they don't, make sure to adapt and and go to that." So with that that stated, I guess it, it takes me another step. Once I return to the U.S. I'm looking at these monsters that required enormous amounts of feed and and they had very low doability and survivability. My thoughts as a college student were to bring some genetics from Australia to the United States. And in the past, it was always the other direction. Our genetics were going that direction. So I thought, well, we've got these monsters out there right now. The industry is going to have to change or the show ring trend is going to have to come back around to more practical cattle. All of a sudden, I can show up with one from Australia that's an outcross moderate, sound, thick enough, all those things that maybe we got away from for a while, and it'd be a gold mine. I was a broke college student, Ryan. How do you think that that worked out? I, I was not able to purchase something and bring it over. But hence, guess what? Many, many, many years later, I'm looking at Facebook and I see cattle from Argentina that have a similar look to what I just described. I talked to some of the people that have judged down there, some of those that went and witnessed the Plermo show. And I thought it's still kind of a long shot, but those cattle might be exactly what I'm looking for. 
my our manager Craig Benoit, my wife Holly, and our project leader Hernan all head down to Argentina. No one invited me. Nobody invited you, thinking this might be just a, a vacation for a week. No we one down invited there, me. Amazed with the genetics. So when I couldn't bring something from Australia because of financial impossibilities, I'm at a point in my life now that I could bring genetics from Argentina via Canada to the United States. We've accomplished that. Our first calf crop was well-received at Oklahoma City. Very rewarding for us. They also they just, do not show up in pictures to the gate. They, <laughs> they do show up in pictures. Coleman's Angus sale a, a week or so ago, the semen embryos, extremely well-received, sold for, for more than, than I would have ever expected. The next calf crop is is in route, and, and we're, we're working with those now. But it, it's a dream that I guess that I had that goes all the way back to my college days that I wanted to do something different or maybe a little outside the box or go against the grain. And we were finally able to do that in in the Angus breed with the Argentine genetics and bring them up here. But it does go back to that one gentleman, find what works in your environment. And I'm convinced there is darn sure a need out there for extremely good footed cattle that have survivability, that have some muscle and some body. And I'm not saying they're not here in the U.S., but we have a very narrow gene pool right now, particularly in the show ring, that these outcross genetics of cattle that are functional, that can survive on their own, that produce an immense amount of product and grow very well, there's a niche for it. It works. And, and I, I attribute it, Ryan, and maybe I shouldn't, but that experience that I had long, long ago going to Australia, and I'd be not forgiven if I wouldn't have, have throw a thank you out there to my parents, because at that time I was on, I'm sure, a Pell Grant and scholarships to get through college. And I grew up in a very moderate income home. No one they, forgave they, your student loans, did they? No, they did not. I, I paid those, but it took everything my parents had to come up with the money to get me that ticket to go to Australia, not knowing if it was going to be of any value or not. But in hindsight, it was a good thing. It was great. Lovely. That was an experience, not not maybe a quote. Exactly. But it, it's, it's very valid and very relevant, so we're going to let you slide even though – and that is a cool story, and that is a very good point about – that you don't always have to just follow the norm and you can even, I I think like the best thing about that Dale is that like, even though that was happened to you in college and you weren't at a place you could do that now, just don't ever give up on your dreams because someday they can happen. So that wasn't your advice, but that's a very good example that I'm helping you out here with. And Ryan and I are probably, we were very, very different, but guess what? We probably go outside of the box as much as anybody. And oh. don't, don't be afraid to just don't, I mean, you don't, if you, if you're following what everybody else is going to do, shouldn't you get the same results as everyone else? And that's what's that going to happen. Work. Yeah. It's not going to, mean, you're not going to stand out and it's not going to be anything different. But some of the biggest things that I get asked is about judging shows. I, I'm not going to go into all that. And I, I get asked who shaped your opinion about stock and how do you do this and whatever, all that stuff. And I've said several times that I don't think there is one person that I can attribute to my priorities or how I sort stock or anything like that. I was very, very blessed to be around a ton of super intelligent people. And when I was growing up and was very fortunate to learn 
so many different things from so many different people across the industry because we bought cattle and we bought other small animal livestock from just anybody. And so that did that, but there was never just like one mentor in general. But I'll never forget the night that we won the Louisville contest. I was sitting in the bar. I know Dale's shocked that I was sitting in the bar, but anyway, I was sitting in the bar and a gentleman came up to me who very important person. And I'm not going to use his name, but I do remember exactly who he was. And he walked down and he sat down and he told me congratulations. And I said, thank you. And we were, he said, uh, he said, I'm going to give you some advice. I said, okay. And uh, he said, you're going to judge as many shows as you've ever wanted to. He said, you are intelligent. You are dedicated. He says, and I know that you're going to do this more times than you ever think you will at this point or ever want to. And I just kind of laughed and said, well, thank you. I hope that's right. And he said, I'm going to give you one piece of advice. There are going to be animals at most of the shows you judge, not all of them, but a lot of them that have that glow. Don't beat those. And that sounds simple and it sounds stupid, but that is the one thing that has resonated with me more than any other singular piece of advice that I ever got. And it, it has just stuck with me. And I have seen that more times than not, not only when I am judging, and I, I have never beat the ones that glow, but I have seen it when other people are judging, the same thing happen, that one comes in, and most times they win, but sometimes they don't. And I, when they don't, I just sit there and it's like, how is that possible? So that's the one little singular piece of advice that I got about sorting stock or judging stock that has stuck with me. And just this last weekend at Brazos Valley Fair, I was on giving my remarks on the Champion Drive. And, and I don't know if this is advice, but it kind of is. And I, I don't know where this came from, but I, I just, Maybe because it was Texas, and I don't judge a lot of shows in Texas, and I knew a whole bunch of people there. And uh, I think that it's funny now that I am judging so much that all these people that, especially in my home state, probably didn't have a great opinion of me for quite a few years. (laughs) Now their opinion has changed and all that other stuff. and. I just said that I have lost way more friends sorting shows than I have ever gained or kept. And that tells me I'm doing something right. And so that is my advice to any of y'all that are wanting to judge and do all this is you can't go there and worry about keeping friends or making friends. You just have to go out there and Stick to your priorities and describe them as accurately you can and be honest about it. And at the end of the day, who you offend or who you make happy should absolutely not have any bearing on what happens in that ring. I love that, Ryan. And not only that, but you go back to that one that glows. Guess what? You do see those get beat on occasion. I'm going to say they get beat because... More times than they should. Because they don't necessarily fit with anything else. 
well, there's a reason they don't fit with anything else. They're that much more unique. Yeah, I'm not arguing with you, but but I, uh, but I do think they get beat as much as they win. And yep. and I'm with you. It's easy when there's that outlier that that fits that that is that we know is how difficult to make and is is maybe that much different. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, completely. You said you have another one, so my last dear Abby. And again, I'm not even sure what Dear Abby is other than what Ryan had, had said that I think an advice column. One of my very first, and, and Ryan and I are talking about going outside the norm and outside the box. My One of my very first outside the box experiences that also had possibly the most impactful direction to my life, financially for sure. During my first year in graduate school at the University of Illinois, I was approached by a good friend, Dr. Ray Favero. He was doing his postdoctorate in reproductive physiology. For some reason, we get on the topic, and he, he's very into exotic animals and, and research and, and that side of things. But he approaches me and he says, I think we can take a cat from Africa called a serval. That's about a 40-pound cat, wild cat, native to Africa. Breed it to a domestic cat and create something new. I research this. I discuss it with other geneticists across the country. All of them say, impossible. They're too far apart. Mother nature is not going to allow this to happen. He was absolutely certain it could happen. I spent the next four years trying to do this. And finally, we're able to have a litter that we could keep alive. And with that, the Savannah cat breed was created. And from there on, the amount of time, once my wife, Holly, came on board and and helped with this project, we both took that same philosophy, no room for error, that we're going to develop this breed and make it known worldwide. And hopefully in that process, create a demand for these. And all of those things have worked. It was not without an incredible amount of time and effort and dedication on our part. We had to step away from the livestock arena for several years to build this, this breed of cat that now has allowed us to finance our goat project, finance our Angus project, build the home that we're in, it's done a lot of things for us because we weren't afraid to go outside of that box. But if Dr. Favero would not have come to me that day and said, Hey, I think we can do this. And we pursued that path. And, and again, it's almost like one of those dreams becoming a reality. I had no real interest in cats nor developing a cat breed, but I did see opportunity there. And he came up with a theory that I had enough faith in him that I think we could probably do it. So it it is to me, the one thing that allowed us to do everything else out. Once I graduated from college, I went to teach at a junior college for several years in this process. We were still developing and working on this breed. The reason I was able to retire early from teaching is because of the income that we generated from the, the Savannah cat breeding project. The reason we're able to buy out what I thought was the most genetically advanced or progressive goat herd in the country was because of finances that came through that. The reason we can travel to Argentina and take that financial risk and bring embryos up here and eventually into the United States is because of that financial advantage we had that all came from this this cat operation, to be perfectly honest with you. So that did impact my life. And, and I think if we're going to go to that Dear Abby side of it, it was Dr. Rivero that was always thinking outside the box, and he still does till today, and I consider him a very, very close friend. He continues to come up with these different ideas. He ran an idea on a new breed of sheep that was coming over, I believe, from New Zealand that he thought would be very popular here. He's never quits thinking that way. 
you have to act upon some of those things that you think, wow, that's, that's out there. That's maybe too different. Who's going to jump on that? Don't worry about what your neighbor's going to say, what somebody else maybe in your current industry is going to say. If you think it can work, jump on it and just do it. You're just ruining my other podcast topic. You're just trying to ruin it. I know. I know. I'm not going to go any further. I'm done. That's it. I've got nothing else. Thank God. Anyway, and this is getting long anyhow, but uh, again, I'm just going to like wrap this segment of the thing up before we get to Dale's favorite part, the question and answer part. Yay. Which, Lord, not even going to talk about last week. But, um, and I've probably told this story on here before, but the best piece of advice that I ever got in my life, and it doesn't matter whether it's livestock show or it, this is just life in general. My brother had the reserve champion bring a steer his first year to show. And he was about five years older than me. And uh, we were walking back from the Astrodome and a young lady by the name of Laura Studeville had won the Houston stock show. And her sh- she was Charlotte Stair. His name was Poncho. I, I can remember all of this so vividly, like it was yesterday. And I was four. And they gave her this big old blanket with roses with this huge glitter H that looked like the trophy on it and this double-sided banner and this big, huge, tall tray. And I was in. I did, did, That was it. I did, that's what I wanted in life. And I... We were walking back, and that steer was up in front of us, and Laura was up in front of us walking back. I said, I want to be her. That's what I want to do. I want to do this. And she told me that I could be anything that I ever wanted to be if I just wanted it bad enough. Again, I don't think she knew that that would change the four-year-old's life in the way it did, because I took her serious, the most serious. And it's just kind of been how I've lived my life. I just don't think that there's anything that we can't do if we really want it bad enough. And uh, again, I haven't achieved everything that I've wanted to yet, but I also haven't given up. And so that is kind of the biggest thing that I ever got told. I get asked a lot of times by kids, by parents, by people who are involved in other people's lives and regardless of sexual orientation or anything like that, I I, I just get asked, how are you able to do this? Be so confident in who you are and, and all, you know, and I don't see it the way other people see it. I just see it as me being me, but other people see it as, they want to know how am I able to be so different and be so unique in an industry that doesn't want it, doesn't like it, doesn't embrace it as much as they should. And I guess I'm kind of one of the first ones that have challenged that. And uh, I don't see it that way. I see it as I am a person that is very confident in who they are and who they want to be. And who they're going to be become when they become their best self. And I just don't think because I'm different, that makes me any less valuable or viable to this industry. And so I, I think 
when we give up on what was or we're supposed to be and embrace what is meant to be, that's when things that are improbable or impossible magically happen before your eyes. Because I know in a lot of ways that's how it's happened for me. I love it, Ryan. And and I think that your biggest fan is your mother. And and when she told you that, she absolutely believed it. And I've spoken to her many times over the years, and, and that is held very, very true. And what you're saying right here, be yourself, be what you really are. Guess what? Everybody isn't the same. And obviously we're, we're aware of this, but for some reason in our industry and outside of our industry, everybody thinks to be more accepted, we need to be the same. Well, guess what? You're going to find far more success when you decide to be you and do what you think might work for you. That's when success follows. If we're trying to imitate somebody else or do something that's not us, how's that work out, Ryan? Well, it didn't work out for me. Yeah. I tried for a little how, bit. How'd that it didn't work, work for out. many years for you? It didn't work out very well. No, terrible idea. Terrible, <laughs> terrible idea. So I, I, I think there's, I, I like this episode, Ryan. This was a good topic. Yeah, I'm Probably so glad that you thought of it and like tried to get me to do it for six months. And I said, no, I, right? that's going to be I avoided thing. this one. I maybe avoided. I just, I don't, uh, it's more difficult. And you know what, Ryan? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have a confession here. Oh, God. Since we've been doing this podcast, even since our friendship began, I have become, you have made me become a little more open, especially in my personal life. And I would have avoided anything, even at this level if at all possible. I'm better with it. I thought this was fine. It's it's good. I enjoy sharing some of that information. So I've I've evolved because of you. So maybe I should include you in this this dear Abby. Oh, I don't know about all that. We can save that for dear Abby too. But <laughs> okay. Is it time? Uh yes. And before we get to Dill's favorite part of the show because I yeah, I love question and answer so much. I am going to like throw in one more region sponsor right quick. And uh, if it wasn't for these sponsors, then we wouldn't make this association work in 2022. And so region five, shout out to all of them. First off, that whole region is completely sponsored. And the last one to sponsor was our region five goat sponsor, homestead feed and supply and uh they are very excited to be part of the btrjla they're in new carlisle ohio they are an old-fashioned country store where god family friends and farms come first uh they take pride in their customer service and their livestock pet horse care knowledge uh they have a vast array of major feed brands and show supplies Their customers consistently hang banners at county, state, and national levels. They're a small family-owned store with personalized service. And Rose, Mindy, Eric, and Rachel are there to answer all of your questions and help you succeed. And their slogan is, if you show it, we will feed it. And so thank you to Homestead Feed and Supply for being the Region 5 Coat Sponsor. Thank you, Homestead. It is because of people like you that are going to allow this to happen. And it's it's shocking to me how many sponsors are coming out and supporting this and it's it's going very well ryan your your dream of this is becoming a reality yes and it's going to benefit a lot of people across the country yes 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 it is that time question and answer the first one is from justin good evening 
We've only been showing a year. We're showing a star five and a young Gert bull. We don't have high quality stock, but we're having a blast. My question is, can you use different color halters while in the ring? We currently use a standard leather halter. We're LSU fans and was curious if we could use purple and yellow halter or customize a halter while showing. P.S. Love the show. It's wonderful. Well, I am not a fan of colored halters. I, I am, and Dale can tell you, I got on to him at a show in Iowa last year about the same thing with his goats. But, uh, and like people will say that I'm a hypocrite, but I'm not. I think that if you want, however you, the kid wants to dress within a few small parameters, I think they should have free will out there. I think as far as the animal, I think if you went and put on a purple and gold halter, that's going to detract from the animal and it's going to make you stand out, not in a positive way. In, in cattle, Dave can tell you the story about goats too. I think whatever the color of that calf's head is, that's what color the halter needs to be. Because I don't want to see the halter. I want to see the head, the neck. I don't want to focus in on the halter. And there are lots of people that have personalized halters. Either they've got their names on them or they've got their calf's name on them and all that other stuff. And so, I mean, it is out there and it does. It's just not something that I think is a good idea. Excellent answer. And I agree with all of that. However, Justin, if you're doing this primarily for fun, you just go out and get whatever color halter you so desire and enjoy it. Question two comes from Pat. Y'all notice he just bypassed completely about me getting on him about his goat color halter. But that's fine. <laughs> that that halter was put on there because for some reason it fit better on that one. And it might have been Katie's lucky. I, I don't know what the reason. but It was turquoise. I do, happen, I do happen to agree with you. I would prefer to match as best you can to blend in. And if not, for some reason, black seems acceptable to me, irregardless of the animal's color. And that's, I don't, I cannot tell you why, but it seems to work. So Pat, we're going to have a circle back moment, Ryan. I know you're a big fan of circle back. I hate Jen Apparently last week we answered a question that we, 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 we now know we have people listening. Wait, they, is, they are do listening. We, is that the only question and answer we have? We have one? No, we have more. This is this is just number two. We have three. Well, then how are I'm, we I'm circling just, back on number two? No, so we're confused. circling back to last week. Oh, my God. We answered a question, and, and Pat is bringing this to our attention. Oh, Unless, question number two is bringing the circle back. Yes. Oh. Okay, yes. now I'm with you. We, like we're not even intentionally doing this. We're, we're and, and again... We try to answer. We we don't get to answer every question submitted, but I do not alter these. It just is what it is, and sometimes they're not popular. I did not realize last week's question would get that much attention. Pat says, on last week's podcast, you guys answered a question about if judges should put animals last if you know they've been artificially manufactured. Dale had mentioned that families in Indiana were standing up and gaining traction on getting this stopped. Please advise how those of us in other states can stop some of the unethical practices. Well, th- this was addressed to you, so I'm just going to sit here. <laughs> the question and answers are for you. No, 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 sir. It said Dale. <laughs> okay, unfortunately, it, it is common knowledge that lambs and goats are being unethically altered to achieve success. This is if you're all you're animals. The, 
all yeah, animals. all animals. I'm I'm going to focus on goats and sheep at this point because that was kind of where we were last week. But all animals, you're right. But I think probably a little less in hogs just because physically we're not able to do as much. But this is this is not something new, people. This is this is something that unfortunately the past couple of years in the goat scene has gotten really bad, and it's been there a little longer in the lamb arena. And this is not news to anybody that's showing at the national or even at the state level. We're, as an industry, pretty aware of it. We don't like to talk about it. We don't want the bad press. I get all of that. We don't need bad press coming to agriculture at any any level. However, there's a balance or there's a time when you have to stop and say, okay, are we going to allow this to continue to happen as an industry? Are we going to stand up and say something, even though it may bring some negative attention? Well, in my opinion, if we continue to go down this path, we have strayed so far away from what our industry is all about in terms of educating youth and setting a good example and making them better people. I'm not so sure that if we have to, to stop it, maybe some negative attention is going to come along with that. But I'm at the point, it doesn't matter because it's, it's, it's going down a path that's not good. So I'm, I'm going to come back with that and, and we can reach out to shows and have people like Matt Clay's advise them and say, okay, here's a logical way to drug test and to do the carcass evaluation. But guess what? That's not going to stop everything. That's just one piece of the puzzle. If I want to go further out there, we as an industry, like what I brought up last week, it appears as though at least I'm getting several phone calls from exhibitors and families in Indiana for some reason. They are an epicenter, I think, for the, the lamb show ring. They, they, they're very competitive. They have some great ones being shown in that state. They show at Kansas City. They show Nashville. They show everywhere, Indiana State Fair, everywhere. And they succeed, and, and they do very well, probably as well as any other single state in that arena. But along with that, there are issues there, and these people are very much aware of it. And for some reason, they're speaking out and trying to, to at least be noticed that, hey, we're not going to put up with this crap anymore. And I'm shocked that it's happening. I'm thrilled. But I, I, I thought maybe we were too far gone for this to ever happen. And it is. And hopefully with them speaking up, the only place they can maybe have impact is visiting with Indiana State Fair and in making use of people like Mr. Clay's and others that are out there across the country. And that's one step. And the other step is self-regulation. As an industry, we just need to, to do better. We We don't need to allow this to happen if we can stop it in any manner. So I, I don't know if that's going to get me in trouble or not, but uh, Ryan, I think last week that question got a lot of attention. Again, this is all you. All me. Well, let's, let's, it was <laughs> thanks, all you. Thanks for the help on I that one. I said nothing. Thank you. Uh, no, Thank you. No. Uh, you're welcome. But like, I agree with what Dale's saying that, and this is really hard subject for the industry, but it's personally hard for me because I was one of those kids. And I mean, I got slaughtered in the media and all this other stuff and whatever else. And while I didn't have anything to do with it, it was still my animal, all this other stuff. And I have said on here multiple times that I think the reason that this has gotten back to where we're at right now and why it's, so prevalent is because while there are shows that are taking a stand and they are disqualifying some exhibitors and some animals when they fail drug tests or their carcasses are condemned and not 
right, all that other stuff, you don't hear about it. And I am not ever going to be a proponent of a child going through what I went through, ever. But also, when that's not out there, no one is fearful. Or there is a group of people that are not fearful of the repercussions. And so that is the biggest problem with all of this. Very well put. Remember, we, we, it, it can't be just one thing. One show can't stop everything. But as an industry, if we work together to try to do better, we can fix this. And it can be that, that perfect avenue. And I still think there's so much good. We're not going to give up this battle. But let's just do better. The final question comes from Dawn. This is, this is all you, Ryan. All you, because I I don't even, I I just, I think my name just got tossed in there for, I don't know, whatever reason, but it's all you. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Okay, next. Don would like to ask the question, what can I do to get Ryan and Dale to speak at our FFA banquet? Okay. Well, I don't know about Dale, but I, I can make this real simple. And whether it's speaking at an FFA banquet or a convention or talking to a judging team or a, a Zoom call and all this other stuff, I, I'm speaking for myself here, and then I will let Dale answer for him. I do not have the time right now currently, and it, it may not be forever, but right now, to do those things. And so I am a person that I feel very strongly about things, and so If I did this, like, for instance, if I spoke at this lady's FFA banquet, then I would feel the need to speak at everyone that ever asked me. The same thing with when I just got asked about putting on a judging clinic or going to speak to a judging team and stuff like that. If I'm going to do it for one, I'm going to try to do it for all. That's why I do shows the way I do. It's on a first-come, first-contact basis. You pay my expenses, and I go. It's not because I'm not going to say, well, those kids at that show aren't worthy. I'm also not going to say, well, these judging group or that FFA chapter isn't worthy. And so since I don't have the time to do that a lot or any, I, I just can't. And so that's why I can't do those things right now. And it's the same way with clinics and anything else. Very good answer, Ryan. And, and and that's real. That just is how it is. And 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 like Ryan, I would love to go and do these events and, and do as many as I can. And unlike Ryan, I'm in a bad position because I do not say no very well. So I am doing a few of those things. But unfortunately, I'm in a position where I do have to say no. And an example would be prior to the National FFA Convention, we have a lot of schools that want to stop by and visit our farm, our facility, look at the cats, the goats, the cattle, whatever it may be. And we're actually tied up this week with, with various things that it just impossible for us to allow numerous schools to come through. So I just shut it down this year. Hopefully next year we can set one or two days aside and allow as many FFA chapters and tours to come through as we possibly can. But I, I'm with Ryan. It, it is difficult. And sometimes you are going to hear me say no, but it's it's not because... I don't want to, or I don't think it's because Ryan doesn't want to, but it's just physically not possible. So I, I like that philosophy, Ryan. I think that's fair. It's maybe not the answer that everybody wants. 
No, they're not. And they don't like it every time I give it to an individual person. And I understand that. But that's just the way it is. And that's how I'm always going to be. Because, again, I am very, very staunch on the fact that if I'm going to start doing something, then I'm going to do it for as many people as I can. And so until things change, and I don't see that changing in the foreseeable future because even if the judging stuff slows down now, we've got BTR, JLA, and other stuff. So I don't, I just don't see it happening right now. Excellent answer, Ryan. And, and again, thank you for Dear Abby. I did fight that one, but I, I, it was good. I'm good. Until next week, be safe. Y'all come back now, you hear? <laughs>